0: Chapter Seventeen of Dawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sunny. Dawn by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Seventeen. Daniel Burton Takes the Plunge. Dr. Stewart's second operation on Keith's eyes took place late in November. It was not a success. Far from increasing his vision, it lessened it. Only dimly now could he discern light at all. In the letter to Daniel Burton, Dr. Stewart stated the case freely and frankly, yet he declared that he had not given up hope yet. He had a plan. With Mr. Burton's kind permission, he would carry out. He then went on to explain. In Paris, there was a noted specialist in whom he had great confidence, he wished very much that this man could see Keith. To take Keith over now, however, as war conditions were, would of course be difficult and hazardous. Besides, as he happened to know, this would not be necessary, for the great man was coming to this country sometime in May. To bring Keith to his attention, then, would be a simple matter, and a chance well worth waiting for. Meanwhile, the boy was as comfortable where he was as he could be anywhere, and, moreover there were certain treatments which should still be continued with daniel burton's kind permission therefore the doctor would keep keith where he was for the present pending the arrival of the great specialist it was a bitter blow for days after the letter came daniel burton shut himself up in the studio refusing to see anyone but susan and almost refusing to see her Susan, indeed heartbroken as she was herself, had no time to indulge in her own grief. So busy was she trying to concoct something that would temper her employer to break a fast that was becoming terrifying to her. Then came Keith's letter. He wrote cheerfully, hopefully. He told of the new games that he was playing, new things of interest that he was seeing. He said nothing whatsoever about the operation he did say that there was a big doctor coming from paris whom he was going to see in may however that was all when the doctor's letter had come telling of the failure of the second operation susan had read it and accepted it with sternly controlled eyes that did not shed one tear but when keith's letter came not even mentioning the operation her self-control snapped and she burst openly into tears "'I don't care,' she sobbed, in answer to Daniel Burton's amazed exclamation. "'When I think of the way that blessed boy is holding up his head and marching straight on and you and me here, oh, land sakes, what the use of trying to say it!' She despaired, turning and hurrying from the room. In December Dr. Stewart came on again to take his daughter back for the holidays he called at once to see mr burton and the two had a long conference in the studio while susan feverishly moved from room to room downstairs taking up and setting down one object after another in the aimless fashion of one whose fingers are not controlled by the mind when the doctor had gone susan did not wait for daniel burton to seek her out she went at once to the studio no he had nothing new to say about keith began the man answering the agonized question in her eyes before her lips could frame the words but didn't he say nothing oh yes he said a great deal but it was only a repetition of what he had said before in the letter daniel burton spoke wearily constrainedly his face had grown a little white the doctor bought the big sofa in the hall downstairs and the drop-leaf table in the (laughs) dining-room but will he pay anything for them things?" "'Yes, he will pay for them. And—'Susan?' "'Yes, sir.' Something in the man's face and voice put a curious note of respect into Susan's manner, as suddenly as it was unusual. "'I've been intending to tell you for some time. I i shall want breakfast at seven o'clock to-morrow morning. I'm going to work in McGuire's store.' "'You're going to what?' Susan's face was aghast. "'To work,' I said, repeated Daniel Burton sharply. "'I shall want breakfast at seven o'clock, Susan.' He turned away, plainly indicating that for him the matter was closed, but for Susan the matter was not closed. "'Daniel Burton, you ain't going to demean yourself like that,' she gasped. "'An artistical gentleman like you, why, I'd rather work my hands to the bones. "'That will do, Susan. You may go.' And Susan went. There were times when Susan did go but not yet for Susan was the matter closed. Only an hour later Mrs. McGuire ran over with a letter from her john to read to Susan, but barely had she finished reading the letter aloud when the real object of her visit was disclosed by the triumphant. Well, Susan Betts, I noticed even an artist has to come down to being a common storekeeper sometimes. Susan drew herself up haughtily. Of course, Mrs. McGuire, tai for me to pretense that i don't know what you're inferring to but just let me tell you this i don't make no difference how many potatoes and molasses jugs and kerosene cans daniel burton hands over the counter he won't never be just a common storekeeper he'll be thinking flowers and woods and sunsets just the same furthermore and moreover in my opinion it's a very honorary and praiseful thing for him to do to go out in the hedges and byways and earn money like that when if the world only knew enough to know a good thing when they see it they'd be buying him the pictures of his and not subjugating him to the mystification of earning his bread by the sweat of his forehead "'Oh, good gracious me, Susan Betts, how you do run on when you get started,' ejaculated Mrs. McGuire impatiently, yet laughingly. "'And I might have known what you'd say, too, if I'd stopped to think. "'Well, I must be going anyhow. I only came over to show you the letter from my John. I'm sure I wished it was him coming back to this old place behind the counter instead of your Daniel Burton,' she sighed i'd buy every picture he ever painted if i had the money if it would only bring my john back away from all those awful bombs and shells and shrapnel that he's always writing about them be nice letters he writes i'm free to confess commented susan graciously not that they tell so much what he's doing though but i s'pose they're censured anyhow all them letters be mrs mcguire her eyes dreamed fixed out the window nodded her head slowly Yes, I suppose so, but there's a lot left, there's always a lot left, and everything he writes I can just see, it was always like that with my John. Let him go downtown and come back, you'd think he'd been to the circus, the wonderful things he'd tell me he'd seen on the way, and he'd set out and describe them until I could just see them myself, I'll never forget. One day he went to a fire, the old Babcock house burned, and he saw it. He was twelve years old. I was sick in bed, and he told me about it. I can see him now, standing at the foot of the bed, his cheeks red, his eyes sparkling, and his little hands flourishing right and left in his excitement. As he talked, I could just see that old house burn. I could hear the shouts of the men, the roar and crackling of the flames, and see him creeping, creeping, gaining, gaining. Oh, it was wonderful and there i was right in my own bed all the time it was just the way he told it that's why i know he could have been a writer he could make others see everything but now that's all over now he'll never be anything i can see him i can see all that horrible battlefield with the reeling men the flames the smoke the burstin' shells, and, oh God, my John, will he ever, ever come back to me? There, there, Mrs. McGuire. I just wouldn't." But Mrs. McGuire, with a shake of her head and her eyes half covered with her hand, turned away and stumbled out of the kitchen. Susan, looking after her, drew a long sigh. "'Worry we never climbed a hill. Worry we never—' there's some times when it's frank impertinence to tell folks not to worry she muttered severely to herself attacking the piled-up dishes before her daniel burton went to work in mcguire's grocery store the next morning after a particularly appetizing breakfast served to him by a silent red-eyed but very attentive susan and twas for all the world like a lamb to the slaughterhouse. susan moaned to the law student lodger when she met him on the stairs at eight that morning and if you want to see a real slaughterhouse you just come in here she beckoned him leading the way to the studio but but that is well stammered the young fellow looking not a little startled as he followed her with half-reluctant feet in the studio susan flourished accusing arms look at that and that and that she cried why it's just like an extraordinary common-sense room now that anybody might have with them pictures all put away and his easel hid behind the door and not a brush or a cube of paint in sight and him doling out vinegar and molasses down at that old store i tell you it made me sick mr jenkins sick yes yes that's so murmured mr jenkins vaguely well it did why it worked me up so i just sat right down and i made up a poem on it I couldn't help it. It came easy, too. Most like the spontaneous combustion kind that I used to write, only I made it free verse. You know, that's all the rage now. Like this," she finished, producing from somewhere about her person a half sheet of note paper. Alone and dark, the studio waited, waited for the sun of day. But when it rose, alas, no lovely pictures greeted the fiery gob. Only their backs showed, white and sorry, and some dusty. No easel sprawled, long legs to trip and make you slip. No cubes of pig lent gray or black, nor any other color lent brightness to this dank world. And he, the artist, the bright soul who bossed this ranch, alas, doomed to hide his bright talons in smelly kegs of kerosene and molasses brown and sticky. Alas, that I should see and know this day. "'There, now, ain't that about the way it is?' she demanded feelingly. "'Er, yes, yes, it is. That's so,' Mr. Jenkins was backing out of the room and looking towards the stairway. Mr. Jenkins had been a member of the Burton household long enough to have learned to take Susan at her own valuation, with no questions asked. "'Yes, that's so,' he repeated as he plunged down the stairs to daniel burton himself susan made no further protests or even comments except the silent comment of eager service with some favorite dish for every meal as christmas drew near and daniel burton's hours grew longer susan still made no audible comment but she redoubled her efforts to make him comfortable in the few hours left to him at home end of chapter 17 recording by sunny